All right. We're continuing our um, series on the distinctness of Calvary Chapel. And um, this morning we look to the rapture, something essential, um, as um, God has uh, very clearly revealed that as a benefit to the believer. But tonight we want to look at having begun in the spirit. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. The um, lifelong task of a man called by God to do the work of God is to stay on course with the captain of his salvation, who knows where he wants to take the church. It is his church. Every pastor is called to a certain work. We are not called to copy each other. We are not called to follow each other. We're called to stay in step with the one who called and sent us. Paul the Apostle understood this. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He's talking about the contrast of the Pharisees and Sadducees as they were teaching from the law in a very rigid, hypocritical way that did not really bring the word of God or the representation of God the way it should. And he's talking about the new covenant that is by the Spirit of God that makes the word of life. Now, a lot of people, especially when, um, say, South America, Central America, um, in Pentecostal circles, people will use this and say, well, the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. That's why I don't study. I just get up there and I just let the Spirit just have its way. Well... No, the Bible says study to show yourself approved. God's not just going to give you the words to teach the people of God and all that. Certainly everybody and any pastor should have enough knowledge that he can just walk through the scriptures, open a book, and be able to do general commentary through the years. But to not study is really disobedient to God, and to not depend on the Spirit of God to direct and guide is also very presumptuous. Paul the Apostle realized that all that God did through him and by him was really just the grace of God. And he wasn't trusting himself. Uh, as we're going to see, God called Paul and Damascus Road. He directed and guided him. And this was the pattern by which he was to live his life out. As I address pastors and leaders in this uh, teaching, no Christian is excluded. Every person has to seek the Lord and to be obedient to him, to stay on track with the Lord, to see what he would have you to do, where to go, how to go, what to say, who to hang out, who not to hang out. God will direct your life. Certainly we want to learn from others. We want to look to people to be examples. But the ultimate example is Jesus Christ and the ones who gives us our marching orders is Jesus Christ. And no one can know that except for you. No pastor can tell you what God wants you to do. And for you to believe so is absolutely absurd. Only you can tune your ear to the voice of God. 
Too often men start with a true call and enabling by the Spirit of God, by His grace, bringing about an incredible work of God. Then they take hold of the work and attempt to continue the work of God by their own abilities and talents of the flesh, a hindrance to the work of God's Spirit. The orders from our Lord to any person called as a minister of the gospel is to continue in the Spirit. And it consists of three simple things as we move through our study. First, the pastor is to remain true to the blueprint of the church. Second, the pastor is to remain true to the initial calling of the church. And thirdly, the pastor is to remain true to the flex, to be flexible to God's redirection of the church. For the pastor is responsible for where God is taking him. Let's begin with the pastors to remain true to the blueprint of the church. This is given to us in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Listen to it. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The pastor is to continue steadfastly teaching the apostles' doctrine like all other individuals. Doctrine, the word dedicate, is God's revelation to instruct and teach men absolute truth. Only what we have in the Bible can we be sure that it is absolute truth on all the subjects and level that it touches. When we look to man's knowledge, it's ever-changing. What may be declared to be wisdom today is proven to be stupidity tomorrow. I remember when they thought plastic bags was the greatest thing. We're going to save trees. Now we know that plastic bags don't decompose. Wise today, stupid tomorrow. Absolute truth about God and man. That God is holy, man is sinful. Absolute truth about sin and death, that it entered through the fall, separating us from God. Absolute truth about repentance and forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in his first coming. Absolute truth about the second coming that Jesus will establish the kingdom. Absolute truth about how to live the life of a believer through Christ Jesus to be a light to this lost world. In other words, the pastor or any other person is not to allow the intelligentsia and the so-called wisdom of the world to impose or influence him so that he compromises or alters the revelation of God with the wisdom of this world. It's easily done all the time. Be it evolution, be it psychology, be it sociology, you name urology. It doesn't matter. It's ever-changing. It's partial. It's not absolute truth. 
The basic purpose of doctrine is in order that um, God's authority be established, not man's, and to not be deceived by every wind of doctrine as the purpose of the church is given to us in Ephesians 4, 16, 4, 11 through 16. So authority is important, but it's God's authority that's important. Because there is no knowledge of God and the things of God apart from the word of God. Man always loves to have the authority, the final say-so. But um, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. A lot of fools in the world today. And because man always wants to exalt himself as a superior to the authority of God. And yet, if you follow the word of God and the history of the Bible... You can see clearly the wisdom of God for those who choose to live in obedience to the word of God. They sow to the spirit, they reap of the spirit. They sow to the flesh, they reap to the corruption of the flesh. It's an absolute principle to believer and non-believer. But also because the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9 says. So man always has an angle, he has a hook, and ulterior motives. We're easily influenced. We're easily corrupted if we don't submit ourselves to the will and to the word of God. Because all of us have feet of clay and all of us are fallen. By the grace of God, as he makes us born again, we're able to put on the mind of Christ. We're able to be directed and guided by the Spirit. But I still have a sin nature just as you. And so if I walk in the flesh, I will do and do do and say dumb things. If you walk in the flesh, you'll do the same. So it's always a choice whether I'm going to walk in the spirit, because if I don't walk in the spirit, I will walk in the flesh. There's no C. It's A or B. The pastors to continue in fellowship next, like all other believers. This is the blueprint of the church. The word fellowship is koinonia. <clears throat> Remember, it means partnership, oneness, communion, uh, togetherness. It's such a rich word. It's used in many different uh, uh, forms and ways in the scripture. The pastor is one of the people. He has to keep that in mind. The pastor is one from among the people. And the pastor is to live as one with the people. There are pastors that separate themselves from the people, isolating and insulating themselves with a bunch of yes people and assistants. That's never to be. Jesus is the greatest example. He was among the people. Pastor Chuck was a great example of this in spite of all the success that God gave him. In spite of the incredible wealth that God gave to Calvary to Costa Mesa. He was always with the people. If he came to speak, I remember when we first were born again in the early 70s. We started um, in our Kung Fu studio over there in Azusa. My brother and I and uh, um, we'd have concerts in the early 70s. And Chuck came out to speak more than one time. And and uh, if you were in that time, you remember Chuck used to wear, you know, turtlenecks and then he wore a coat. And, and there was no air conditioning in that Kung Fu studio. 
And, you know, the music went for about 45, 50 minutes. It's packed out with people. And he just sit there sweating like a pig. And big smile on his face. He would give the message, very gracious. He would stay there until the last person to talk to him. Then he would get in his car and go home. Wow. How refreshing. Some pastors today in the Calvary chapels, I couldn't get to them if I had to. They've gotten so big and so famous and so protected and insulated. What a shame. Now, I'm not saying that a pastor has to be at every event, talk to every person, or accept every invitation. It's impossible. But that he's able to be approached by the people. He makes himself available after the services. He's there. He walks among the people. Simple. And it doesn't take long for anyone to figure out if such is the man or not. It will be a consistency in his life. The fellowship of believers involves the gathering of the saints in different forms. The fellowship of saints corporally is not to be forsaken as the manner of some already was, Hebrews 10.25 says. So once again, the gathering together, not making yourself distinct from others, not just being carnal and choosing those that you want. Now, we are all going to choose a group to hang out more than others if the church is larger. That's just common sense. And you're going to choose, and God gives you the choice to hang out with some more than others because you have more compatibility with whatever it is. But as believers, we're also open for our circle to be much larger than we would in our own choosing. And we see the wisdom of God and the blessing of God and how God uses all that. And that's important. The fellowship of saints, individual ministries, the word is used that way in Galatians 2.9. So there's a gathering because we serve after the same order, maybe in music ministry or whatever. Or the fellowship of the saints outside of the church. As you come to church and you gather with one another and you meet people and you click it off. You know, your kids or whatever. And you begin a great relationship that goes through the years. And you become more than your normal family. Fellowship of oneness with non-believers is um, prohibited on a regular basis to not be unequally yoked, Second Corinthians six fourteen and six through eighteen. So <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we're better than non-believers. We were non-believers at one time, but we use the opportunities to minister to others, to pray for others. But certainly once born again, we don't live on a regular basis with people that do not glorify God. Being unequally yoked, you get corrupted. Bad company corrupts good morals, the scripture says. So we, walk, we need to walk 
in obedience with God, with the people of God, for the glory of God. That's important. The fellowship is identified with the financial contribution also for the saints in Jerusalem in 2 Corinthians 9.13. Same word. Participation. Oneness. The fellowship of believers is to be known for their love for one another. John 13.35. That goes beyond just words. When word and deed become one, it becomes truth, First John says. See, the fellowship of believers is centered on the person of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, not mere activities. You'd be surprised how people choose churches. They call and they want to know whether you have a single ministry. Because they think it's another dating site, another meat market. Or what kind of activities do you have for my child? Or do you have big enough parking? How far do I have to walk? You'd be amazed. The church is a place where you come to hear the voice of God through the word of God, to do the will of God, to please God, and to obey God. It's not a club. It's not a playground. It's not a dating place. (laughs) If you're single, you should be preparing yourself to be the right person rather than looking for the right person. Because if you're looking for the right person, you've got a long list that will never be met. The problem is you cannot even meet your own list. So be preparing yourself to be the right person for that other person God will bring to you. That you may be a blessing and not a burden. Very important. It's not a place for mere entertainment. Some churches are really entertaining. The pastors just imitate the world with the activities that go on in the church. It's not a place... For our emotional experiences, the latest craze, the latest movement, the latest thing. But on his leading in the church through the spirit that is verified by the word of God. If we cannot put our finger to say this is that which the scriptures say, then we have no business doing it. Is to be what the Word of God says in its context. Too often the church and pastors, um, and of course the pastors, the ones that are leading, they, they start getting pulled to the world and they start getting worldly in their approach of things to try to attract people. That's the work of the flesh. And the problem with the flesh You can attract a lot of people, but then you've got a building full of flesh instead of spirit. How are you going to handle it? If you work things through the word of God and the spirit of God, God will bring in people and convert them and transform them and lead and guide and direct them through his spirit. He's in control. But if you as a leader attract 
people through the works and the methods of the flesh. Now you have to work at maintaining, controlling, and dealing with it. That can get pretty tiresome and pretty dangerous at times. Also, the pastors to continue in communion like all other believers. Communion means a commitment to deal with sin when it enters our life before partaking of the Lord's communion. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight and 29. Some of the Corinthians um, God had struck with illness. The others he had stricken dead. They had lost the understanding of the uh, the privilege and the uh, sanctity of coming before the Lord and always realizing that we come confessing so that we're right with God as we partake of his body and his blood in a symbolic gesture of remembering what he did. The pastor is a sinner like all others. He must remember that as well as the leaders. The pastor can hinder the work of God through sin. If your head gets sick, your whole body feels miserable, doesn't it? The head is what controls everything. Jesus Christ. Communion means commitment to fellowship with God and man that our joy may be full. First John 1, 1 through 4, he says our joy is full because we have fellowship with God and with man and we have fellowship with one another. You and I are privileged enough as believers to be in a fellowship where we have greater oneness beyond just the identity of friendship or locality or affiliation in some other ways. We are affiliated by the blood of Jesus Christ because he has cleansed us from all sins and we belong to the same family, the family of God. Regardless of what had taken place in our past, regardless of our ethnicity, our nationality, our color, or anything else, we are one in Christ Jesus. Wow. Something that people don't understand when they're not believers. So the pastors maintain a daily relationship with God in the word and prayer, having good relationships with people. The vertical axis is always the most important. Remember, if you're right with God, you'll be right with man. That's on an individual level, one-on-one, husband-wife, wife-husband, children, whatever it may be. The vertical is the most important. The problem is we try to fix it on this level, the horizontal, without having the uh, vertical, and then we get ourselves in trouble. Communion means commitment to serve. To serve others in view of the Lord's coming. Even as the Son of Man came. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many in Matthew twenty twenty eight. So he's our example. Peter says he's left us footsteps so we are to be servants. To each other. To the non-believer. And to anyone else. The pastor having to give an account to the Lord... For his ministry. One day I will have to give an account for what God has done in this ministry. What I've done with what God has done. No one else. 
There's other ministers. They'll have to give an account for their ministry. But I am the one responsible. The pastor has to give an account to the Lord for the people. Did I love the people? Did I instruct the people? Did I protect the people? Everything will be revealed in that day. Just like you as a husband or a father. Did you love your wife? Did you protect your wife? Did you provide for your wife? Were you there for your wife, for your children? No one else will be responsible. And this is the understanding that every pastor or leader or Christian is to understand on the level that God is using them. But then also the pastor is to continue in prayer like all other believers. The scriptures tell us that prayer is communication. Man talking to God, Luke eleven two, Addressing God as Father in heaven, acknowledging his holiness, desiring his kingdom to come, and desiring his will to be done. The scriptures tell us that prayer is not simply a tool or an avenue to get our will done or our desires and wants, but rather to accomplish the will of God. First John five fourteen and 15. If we, we know that he hears us, and if he hears us according to his will, then he will answer our prayers. The will of God is found in the word of God, not in emotions, not in feelings, not in the things that men tell us. The pastor's confidence to be in the will of God. Listen, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5.14 The pastor is to be confident in God answering prayer. Listen to what 15 says. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. That doesn't mean that God answers everything that we ask. Because sometimes we ask amiss that it might be consuming our own lust. And sometimes we just don't ask. That's why we don't have. James tells us that. The scriptures imply emphatically that prayer is a proclamation of total dependency upon God. If you've ever read Psalm 73 verse 25 to 26 specifically. God is to be our primary love. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. You see, the psalmist at this point has gotten his eyes on the um, wealthy and the worldly person. And he says, you know, they never have trouble. Their kids are healthy. Their cows never die. And he says, you know, I, I've cleansed my hands in innocency. I made a mistake. And then verse 17 of Psalm 70 says, Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. When I spend time in prayer, God puts me back in the right perspective. All right. This is the reality. Brings me back to ground zero. Prayer brought him back. Listen. Verse 17, Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. <laughs> The scriptures tell us that prayer is a matter of the heart, posture of the heart, not physical posture necessarily. Jesus in Matthew 
6, 5 through 7. In 5 he says, <clears throat> And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So once again, men lean to the methods of the flesh. God begins to work, but then they turn to the flesh. So they start making great orations before people, and they start telling people their needs over their prayer because they want the people to meet their needs, not God. Well, when you get that pair of shoes, don't, don't thank God. Thank the person that gave them to you. You prayed about it. Verse 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So as a pastor, as a leader, as a Christian, you're praying to God for your needs, the things that you feel that it's his will and your direction. And then you wait upon God. And then when God answers you, you will know that God heard you and directed you and gave to you and not anyone else. It isn't the work of the flesh, but a work of the spirit. In verse 7 of Matthew 5, he says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. To impress people, perhaps you've heard people pray in public. Very impressive prayers. Very liturgical. They sound just big words. And all the angels throw up. They're not impressed. The blueprint for the church is like a compass. It will keep the church on the steady course and show us if we get off course with the ever steady mind of God. The word is your compass. The word is your map. You deviate from it. It's like driving down the freeway and you have that lane about eight feet wide. Your car probably has a foot, foot and a half, depending on the size on either side. You want to use it all, it's okay. But if you start driving by Braille, you know you've gone over a little too far, right? It's just that simple. Doctrine is determined by study that is consistent and careful. Not casual reading as you go through the entire Bible. Regular reading, forget the word in, forgot the ministrant and just speak to me. And so I know what's in the word. But I should take time to roll up my sleeves and do good study. Take a book, tear it apart. Begin with a small one, one chapter, Jude, Philemon. Move to a two chapter, the epistles of John, four chapter, five chapter. Before you know it. You take Isaiah, 66 chapters, tear it apart. You've got a whole lifetime. Take one book at a time so that you learn to study the word of God. And God speaks to you. Like a Berean, examining to find out if those things are so. So that when you sit, as you are sitting right now, as you take notes, then you do your homework on me. To make sure that you are not deceived. Very important. Fellowship is not mere getting together to be busy. But should be a byproduct of the study of God's word. 
in the love of God. In other words, what motivates us is our love for God. And when we gather together is to be doing the will of God. In the world, unless you're partying, getting drunk or loaded, when you're back there, you figure somebody says uh, that they're in church, they say you're a Christian, you say, what do you do for fun? I've never had more fun in my life. And I, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in the church. I grew up in the 60s. <laughs> I got saved in 73. I was 23 years old. And I tell you what, I wouldn't change my life for anything. I used to be dead. And then I became alive. I used to be blind. Now I see. Big difference. Communion is to never become a ritual, losing its holiness and purity. Jesus demonstrated that in John 13 as he gave the communion, the fulfillment there with the apostles the night before he was betrayed. They had done that often in their lives, but now was the fulfillment, the actual payment was going to take place. The actual access to heaven was going to take place. The actual wrath of God was going to be poured out upon Jesus Christ. And he did it for you. He did it for me. And this is the message that cannot be lost, but has been lost through the pulpits of America today. And the church has become a place of entertainment. A place to try to appease the intellectualism of man. A place to straddle the fence to appease the intellectual community as well as those that seem to be the buzzword today, spiritual. What does that mean? <laughs> it means anything. If you believe in Satan, you're spiritual. Because we live in an amoral society that rejects God. And so Calvary Chapel believes that by remaining true to the blueprint of the church, the church will continue in the spirit. It's key. God, by his grace, has allowed us to be a church for 36 years. It's a long time. A lot of people. A lot of teaching. A lot of things have gone on, a lot of ministry, a lot of mission, a lot of tears, a lot of good times. It's not just something that happens. Second, the pastors to remain true to the initial calling in the church. The pastors to know he is called. No one can tell him if he's called or not. Remember, when God calls you to ministry, only you can know. Be it as you were reading the word of God, be it that God impressed it on your heart and confirmed it through open doors or different things. But you are the only one that can know that. And so the pastor is the only one that can know if God has called him into the ministry. Now, remember, God making it very clear to me. I wasn't looking to be a minister. I wasn't looking to be a Christian. And yet I didn't, it wasn't like I gave up anything. People always say, well, you know, I was successful and I did this and I gave up that. You know what I gave up? I gave up hell. Anybody who here, well, I gave up my bed. 
They don't understand salvation. They don't understand the privilege of being called. Everybody gives up one thing, hell. Now, who do you think gets the best of that choice? (laughs) Remembering that it did not come overnight, it's very important as a pastor and a leader and a Christian. You had to grow, develop, mature in the things of God. And so the pastor has to. You started out with the small things and you were faithful. Instead of despising them, the scriptures declared despise not the day of small things. You began to learn to discern God's voice and his leading. It's like learning how to ride a bike or swimming. It takes practice, right? You got to discern the voice of God. Remembering that God's will and God's timing are two different things. Even as the call of Moses was 40 years before the time he was used by God. I may be called, but it's not the right time. Moses thought he was called 40 years earlier. But it wasn't the 40 years later. He tried to do it in the flesh. So he killed an Egyptian. Buried him. He had to run for his life. When he was in Egypt, he thought he was everything and anything. He could do anything. He had to learn 40 years that he was nothing. God said, now I can use you. As long as you think you're the hottest thing since ice cream, God can't use you. When you know you're nothing but the stick, now God can use you. Or the rapper. Things don't happen as you expect them at times. God shocks you, surprises you. Sometimes it takes much longer than you expect. Because it's not the right time. At other times it happens really fast. Unexpected. And the danger there as a pastor or leader is, well, you know, I, I, I must have done something really good. <laughs> no. The flesh is always there to exalt itself and take the credit. This is the rule. Everything good, God's responsible for. Everything bad, I'm responsible for. That makes it easy. Simple. All along learning that God is sovereign and the one in control. Always. That doesn't mean I can do dumb things and God's going to cover me. God will cover me when I make mistakes. But I can't be presumptuous or arrogant and think I can act foolishly and think God's going to cover me. No. Remembering all these things in times of difficulties and disappointments when things did not go as I thought they should go. So you can remain true to your call. You think of the call that God put upon Paul. Pretty um, horrific. 
the sufferings. I must show him, Ananias, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Peter says, 1 Peter 4.19, that some of us suffer according to the will of God. We're to commit ourselves to him as a faithful creator. Wow. When's the last time you heard Fred Price or Copeland or Hagen or any of the positive confession teachers give a sermon on that? Doesn't fit their theology. Name it and claim it. Nab it and grab it. Healthy and wealthy. kids, God's kids, right? Smorgasbord Christians. They spend all the time in the pudding. Satan will want to discourage you in your call. As a pastor, as a leader, as an elder, or as a Christian. Your call is not about success and numbers, but faithfulness to fulfill your call. Think with me. Noah was called to preach for 120 years. He didn't have one convert outside of his family. Noah's supplying for a job at the local churches. They say, well, how long have you been preaching? 120 years. Whoa. How many converts have you had? Just my family. The conclusion is, you must be a rotten preacher. I ain't hiring you. Because we're impressed with numbers. Listen, if one person comes to hear you, you are very fortunate. Through the years, some of the Calvary chapels have suspended their Sunday nights. And I've heard from someone saying, well, you know, there weren't that many people coming out on Sunday night. Times are changing. And I said, well, how many were there? They said, oh, about 10, 15, or they'll say maybe about 100. I go, are you kidding me? I give them the same answer I give to you. If one comes to hear you, what a privilege. What an awesome responsibility you have. Numbers mean absolutely nothing, ladies and gentlemen. When I study... I don't study depending how many people come. I study as hard Sunday night as I do Sunday morning or midweek. It doesn't matter whether I'm going to speak to two, five, or whoever. It doesn't matter. Numbers are not impressive. I would rather have one godly person than 5,000 carnal people and worldly people in a building any day. Success is in fulfilling your ministry, your call. What has God called you to be and to do? Continuing in the spirit. The pastor is to know his gifts, identifying your gift. And they are supernatural. They are not natural talents or abilities. You may be a musician and be able to jam. That doesn't mean you have the gift of leading worship. I've known many talented Musicians, but when it came to leading worship, they weren't called or anointed. These are supernatural gifts in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Only you can know that. 
They're effective through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is evident by the response of the people to the Word of God, to the ministry of God. That you don't call attention to yourself, but everybody is attentive to God. You know, people have a lot of different rules and that about preaching, teaching. They say, you know, you shouldn't teach more than a half hour to 40 minutes at the most. I tell people, I teach an hour all the time. They go, listen, I'm the first one to know if you're bored. I'm the first one to know if you're not getting it. Okay? Those are man-made rules. Every person is different. The pastor and the teacher is going to know exactly what the body can take. Some people can't take it because they've never had solid food. All they're doing is sucking on milk, cotton candy, and everything else. They don't have any appetite for the Word of God. You know what I mean? Spiritual junk food. Endeavor to operate in your gifts, never outside your gifts. Do not try to be someone else. Do not try to function outside of your calling or the gifts. Doing so can be a waste of time and add hurt to the church and to yourself. There's only one you. And God will endow you and gift you and call you and anoint you to be you, no one else. Different parts of the body is the illustration. This hand looks identical to this hand. They're both hands, but they're different. This half of your body is different than this half of your body. No part is the same. Yet, the sum of the parts is equal to the whole. A geometric axiom of geometry, right? And no part is greater than the whole. The head is the one that controls the body. And nobody can, no part of the body can boast in itself. I have no need of you. Or I'm the most important. It depends what you want to do. If you want to walk, your feet are important. You want to grab something, the hands are important, right? Cultivate your gift or gifts through the exercise of them. It should be exercised as natural as walking and talking. As people come on Sunday, midweek, or tonight, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being operated through the ministry. But just because they're not operating in some circus-type atmosphere doesn't mean they're not being operated. Decent and in order, everything. And God does his supernatural work through the natural means often. But they're not natural talents and abilities. They're supernatural gifts endowed by God. God will open the doors. God will refine the gift and gifts as you step out. Do not prostitute your gift for money. Or vainglory. Be also careful to not serve for money rather than obedience to God. This is one of the snares of the ministry. Be also careful to not think for a moment that what takes place has nothing to do with you. And apart from God. For you represent God. And what you do and what you say. 
Be sure to give him all the glorious, 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. If you're going to glory, glory in this, as you know me. All the glory to him. The pastors to know that he has sent also. Very important. Go only where and when God speaks to you. When you hear his voice, you're the one that hears that no one else. When Paul was in the road to Damascus, the other men didn't hear it. They thought it was thunder. When you got saved, God was speaking to you. Your friend next to you says, when is this guy going to shut up so we can get out of here? Hmm. Not the voice of others who give you prophecy. That saith the Lord, the Lord told me for you to go to somewhere as a mission, missionary. And people get up and they do it. Then when they fail, they blame God. Well, blame the person and you. You're stupid. You, you listen to man. Let God send you. If God sends you, anoints you, you'll be okay. But if you're looking to men being impressed by men as they prophesy over you and tell you where to go and you go and you sell all your house and you go, then you deserve it. You allow yourself to be deceived because you're not checking and waiting upon God through the Word of God. Not because you decide to go, but only because God prompts you and you can't do anything else. So you must wait upon God to need to confirm that through Him, through prayer. God's timing, again, we talked about that. God is faithful. He has been calling men since the Garden of Eden. He doesn't give men wrong instructions or false callings. God is in control. It is his work. Go on relying on God to provide and protect you. Where God guides, he provides. So don't go begging. If God calls you and sends you, he'll provide for you. If not, you're wrong. It's that simple. Where God guides, he sends, he opens doors, and he closes doors. Paul describes the open doors. I have great effectual doors have been opened to us in Ephesus. You know how he describes it? Many adversaries. <laughs> we would say, oh, great doors. We had no problem. We just, everything flowed. Paul says this. Great doors are, there's a lot of opposition. What different perspective, huh? When God sends someone... There's no confusion. But there is opposition. Go in the confidence of being sent. Knowing who has called you. Knowing who has gifted you. And knowing who has sent you. What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why are you boasting? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. As if you didn't receive it. Wow. It's like looking for a part for a car. For it to work, it must be the right part, the right year, not just any part. It's got to be exact. We look for people who God will call to the various ministries as they step out and they prove themselves to God. As we see what God is doing in their life, the Bible says to prove people for ministry. 
We look to see the gifts of the individuals who make themselves available to ministry and the anointing in their lives, not only for their own lives, but as they step out in ministry, according to the gifts of the Spirit, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Romans 12. That it isn't just a position they're seeking for, it's not just a place where they want to be seen, but you see the love of the Lord, you see the work of the Spirit in their lives. To love people, to serve people. We try to be sensitive to God if God would have the individual to come on staff or not. Everybody on staff here sat in those pews at one time or another. We don't put resumes in the newspaper or Christian colleges. We let God raise people from the body. I presume when you leave your children to be babysat, you do it from real close friends or family. Not, you don't go down the Home Depot and get some babysitters, right? Interesting. Not just because they are our friends, not just because they are people who have money, not just because they are smart businessmen or women, not just because they are always complimenting us, but because we see God's hand, God's direction, and God making the need. And you wait upon God and you pray, and then as you step out, you see what God's going to do. So Calvary Chapel believes that by remaining true to one's initial calling of the church, the church will continue in the spirit, hopefully. Third and last, the pastor is to remain true to the, to be flexible to God's redirection of the church, which really is his continuing direction. I say redirection because we sometimes get focused, okay, God's going to do this, and but he wants to, he, he goes left, and I think he should go straight as a pastor. <laughs> and he's right and I'm wrong. The church is his, not the pastor's or the elder's. <clears throat> Matthew sixteen eighteen. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, it is his church. He's the head of the church. He acts with the church daily such as should be saved. He enables and he empowers the church to stand against all spiritual enemies. No one else can do it. The church is to stay on track with the same gospel. This is very important. Listen to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse, anathema, the strongest word, damnation in the Greek. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, what you have received, let him be anathema, a curse. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I did please men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. There is but one gospel. It never Changes. There are always people who want to introduce a new thing about the gospel. 
They find a nifty little phrase for their newfound doctrine or their corruption of the gospel. There's nothing new about the gospel. It's an old gospel with a fresh truth for every generation. There's not a man or angel called or sent by God that has the right to alter the gospel. Such individuals do not understand the danger they are facing, and they are not interested in the people, but they're interested in corrupting the gospel to take advantage of the people. A pastor is to feed the flock of God, not fleece the flock of God. Simple. The true servant of God pleases God, not man. A servant of God knows the word of God, and a servant of God always obeys the word of God. Am I talking that a pastor is sinless and perfect? No. You know better than that. But he sits under the Lord's feet, under the same standards and the same requirement as you. He is one of you, among you, and from you. A different calling, but a man like any other. The church cannot be perfected in the flesh, ladies and gentlemen. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, listen. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, almost like a billboard? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? It's a rhetorical question. No. If you say yes, you get an F on the subject of the book of Galatians. It is foolishness to think you can. It is a contradiction to the Scriptures. It is what will bring a halt to the work of God. It is deception of man thinking he can do a better work than God in the church. To go from the spirit to the flesh. Absolute mistake. It's like the sail on a boat. It only serves to catch the wind for the boat to be transported by that wind. The sail does not create the wind, nor is the wind. It just catches the wind. And so you, a pastor, and any leader. The thing is that we get enamored with the vessel. Paul says, This treasure has been hidden in this earthen vessel, that the power and excellence may be of God and not of ourselves. But for God to get the glory, this vessel must be broken, transparent. Back with Gideon. The jars, the lantern, the trumpet, and all said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon broke the pitchers all at one time so the light could be seen and the enemy could be defeated. The problem is we don't want to break this vessel because we are so in love with it. For Jesus to be seen, this vessel must be broken, transparent. That can only be done in the spirit. Never in the flesh. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by education, 
but by the teaching of God's word, 1 Timothy 2.15, showing yourself approved. I'm not against education. Get all you can. Once you get it, get over it. Use it. Don't wear it. God will take care of it. Not by programs or the latest craze, but by the hand of God guiding the pastor, the leader, the person, even as Paul was guided through Asia Minor, Philippi, hindering to preach here in Asia and Bithynia, and through a vision led to Philippi. Each of us should be able to look back and say, God has guided me to here and see it very, very clearly. If all you can see that you've guided yourself, you're in some deep trouble. Sometimes men think that either God has sold them short or that they deserve more and do a better job. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 29. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things that are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Wow. Calvary Chapel believes that by remaining true to the being flexible to God in that initial calling, anointing, and sending, the church will continue in the spirit. Very important. And so these are the three simple steps that will help us to continue in the spirit. Remain true to the blueprint of the church. Remain true to the initial calling in the church. And remain true to be flexible to God's redirecting of the church. But his word is always a compass. Always a compass. You don't want to be a weather vane. A weather vane depends which way the wind's blowing. You want to make sure you stay on course with the word of God and the spirit of God. The spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. The spirit of God illuminates the word of God. They are one, like Twinkies, like beans and tortillas, peanut butter and jam. Can't separate. Father, thank you for tonight, your goodness and your love. No, we thank you. We pray you continue to work in our lives, that we would yield to you. And Lord, that we would just walk in your spirit. Thank you for every person here. And I pray, Lord, you will continue that work. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You might be over the internet. If this is you, if you believe that Jesus is God who became man, and that he died for your sins, and he rose from the dead, then the Bible says you can call upon him, and he will forgive you, and he will save you, and he will make you a son or a daughter of God. By grace through faith. Because he loves you and he died for you. If this is your decision. Then it's called a prayer of repentance. Calling upon God to forgive you. And to make you his child. This is your prayer to him. Not to us. But to him. And if you mean it from the bottom of your heart. And God is leading you. 
you will be saved right now. This is your prayer. Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.